0: My senior producer told me you were singing Britney Spears.
1: I was. I love Britney. <laughs> She's an icon. What song were you singing? Um, Oops, I Did It Again, maybe. Uh-huh. I think. Yeah, it's a banger. This week, I
0: talk with Ziwe Fumido about getting paid to write late night TV. Y'all are in for a treat.
1: Just call me Ziwe. You're like a Beyonce? No, it's not that I'm a Beyoncé, it's that (laughs) most people feel very uncomfortable and get stressed out when they have to pronounce my name, and (laughs) I like to avoid those scenarios. But it's (laughs) Fubando if you want to know. I'm Eri Khreis, and welcome to
0: This is Uncomfortable, a podcast from Marketplace about life and how money messes with it. In this episode, I get to do one of my favorite things, which is ask someone whose work I find super fascinating a bunch of big questions about work and money. Ziwei Fumido is a comedian who does a lot of things, including a monthly live show where she performs original pop songs. And for her 9 to 5, she is a writer on Jesus and Marrow on Showtime. If you haven't watched it, you should. It is hosted by Daniel Baker, aka Desus Nice, and Joelle Martinez, aka The Kid Marrow aka The Bodega Boys. And it's not like your typical late night show. They're not buttoned up or trying to be politically correct all the time. Uh, it almost feels like you're eavesdropping on a conversation with two funny, smart dudes chilling in their living room.
2: Yo, what up? New York. In yes. America, it's your boys. We are back. Jesus yes. nice. And the Kid Meryl, the human durag. That's right. The number one show at Late Night has finally you know I'm saying? returned and we won our motherfucking corners. That's right. Yeah.
0: In the first episode, they did this really funny skit called The Greenest Book, which Z-Way wrote.
1: Um, It's basically a parody of Green Book, the film that won an Oscar for ending racism. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bravo to them. It's satirizing, like, the idea of this film with a a racist Italian guy, like, chauffeurs around a black guy, and somehow they heal racial wounds when obviously that was not the case. The actual family from Green Book, Mm -hmm. like, hated the film and, like publicly rejected it. And it felt so surreal that I just, like, was inspired to write, like, this story of, like, what if Marrow plays it? Like, how funny would that be? And then, you know, Jesus as Mahershala killed it. From the producers of Green Book comes the story of a white man who had the courage to know a black person. You know what? Not that bad. A little rough around the edges, but I could rock with you, my guy. You're a cool guy yourself, you know? Despite the fact that you're a, uh, you know, stupid n***. I was just aiming to write a funny sketch that like satirizes how someone can be racist and still hailed as like this racial healer healer as a super progressive when clearly they were not. Like was this always a goal of yours to break into the writer's room? Uh, definitely. Has, oh, have, I wouldn't say it's always my entire life. It's been a goal of mine. My I think as a child, I wanted to be a pop star. And so that's probably <laughs> where pop show and my love for Britney Spears comes from. But definitely once I did this internship at Comedy Central mm-hmm. when I was like 20 years old, my junior summer. Um, and I got a joke on Colbert Report and I was like, oh, my goodness, I had no idea that like people could make a living being creative. You know, mm-hmm. I have these staunch Nigerian immigrant parents who really wanted to meet me to be a doctor, like going into finance. And so I didn't I had no idea that you could do this for a living. Uh, yeah.
0: I, well, now I'm just curious. So your parents came over here. Why did they come here?
1: There was a civil war that thing oh you know you know (laughs) casual (laughs) do you feel bad asking now that I said that no
0: (laughs) well my family were also like refugees so shout out I get it shout out shout shout out shout out
1: yeah
0: (laughs) bleak bleak yeah yeah and okay
1: so (laughs) (laughs) pivot (laughs) Pivot, change the topic okay let's stop talking about dying people dying brown people (laughs) all right
0: let's change the topic Okay, so when uh, you got your joke on The Colbert Report, um, did you, like, text your parents and
1: tell them? No, they don't care. They have no idea what I do for a living, and they don't know who Stephen Colbert is. Really? (laughs) (laughs) Really, yes. So they wanted you to
0: become a doctor or pursue a more traditional field?
1: Definitely didn't want me to be a comedian. I remember recently telling my mother that I was, like, performing comedy, and she was like, you're a comedian? No, you're not. You're a child of God. Just to give you, like, some sort of, like... Inclination as to what exactly Right. Just is to paint the picture. On. Yeah, to paint the photo. It is it is it's different. It's just culturally different. They don't yeah. understand what I do. I mean, yeah. No, no. I'm cool with that.
0: Right. No, I understand that. I feel like my parents were very similar. Um exactly. So they didn't and want like, to see their we kid didn't fail. come to the
1: US for you to just exactly. like a hundred percent. Yeah. Like the, all the sacrifices they made and I want to tell jokes in the back of Union Hall. You know? <laughs> like I get it. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> wait let's talk about money so um, <laughs> how would you describe your
0: relationship with money
1: uh, I'm not rich so horrible mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wish I was I really wish that I was born with the trust fund that mm. would have been nice that would, would be that nice. have been nice yeah, yeah. kid I would I, you would. Be? I wish mm-hmm. I was screwed <laughs> colonization is honestly what got what got me because my grandfather was a chief but you know the Brits really screwed up Nigeria Wow, yeah, so to think I could have been a the heir to a Nigerian throne, actually though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um,
0: so you would describe your relationship as horrible.
1: I mean, yes, does it stress you out? Does money stress me out? um not as much as it used to. I used to work at this restaurant called brother Jimmy's. it was I was a hostess, and that was that was just hard. it's just hard to like work on your art and also be hungry. They say that being hungry helps you as an artist, but I would rather be um, <laughs> well-fed <laughs> and have horrible art. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's like a lot of glamorizing of being poor, but it's really it really doesn't feel good. It's It doesn't feel good when you feel sick and you can't go to the hospital because you can't afford the copay. That doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good to skip meals because you can't afford it.
0: Yeah, and then as you've gone through your 20s, how has your relationship with money changed?
1: I'm I'm more successful than I was five years ago two years ago three years ago for sure but I definitely don't feel like secure in my money because if I ever stopped working I that would be it like I have savings but not enough to really sustain me for more than a year mm. two years like and th- I don't have you know the safety net to fall back on where where some other people do you know. But it's, it makes me into the person I am today, for sure. I'm appreciative of money. I work hard for my money. We're living in, like, a late stage of capitalism. And you see that in how everyone has become a personal brand. The need to make money and generate wealth is so deep that, like, everyone has to sell everything all the time. Your side including hustle. Including their personality. You, including yeah. their person. Literally, it's yeah. like you're selling your personality, you're selling your, your tweets, your Instagram, you're putting that on to, like, try to make a quick buck. But at what expense, you know? Hmm. It's really intense yeah. living in this age, but it's really intense. Yeah,
0: well, you were doing that for a while, right? Like, while you were a hostess, you were also creating.
1: Yeah, I was tweeting. I was literally—Twitter uh, tw- is the reason why I'm employed. And Twitter is, like, it's tough because, woo, what it's done to democracy, woo, <laughs> tough, tough. <laughs> but it's like— how, the, how much black visibility, how many minorities have, have gained visibility because of this social media website where, mm. like, the gatekeepers couldn't stop us from, from being, being viral and making... Yeah. yeah, being ourselves, like, literally making jokes. It's like, if your joke has 100,000 likes, okay, then this person may be funny, you know? Whereas, like, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, gatekeepers would decide what's funny, what's not. And when you were tweeting, was that, like, an intentional
0: decision on your part? Were you like, I need Definitely. to build Definitely. Yeah, I need to build my It brand. wasn't
1: like, one day I woke up and I had thousands of followers like i was tweeting into the wind (laughs) for a very long time (laughs) Mm. Uh, but i did that consciously being like okay if i tweet and show my jokes then maybe eventually like i can get a job like and i can be hired for my comedy and for my art but i did a lot of free labor and i still do free labor to get my comedy and get my art out there so i can make money off of my art
0: Coming up after the break, Ziwe and I get into representation and comedy, imposter syndrome, all that good stuff. Hey, this is Uncomfortable listeners. I want to introduce you to a podcast that I think you'll love. It's called Adulting. It's about how we're all trying to figure out how to be a grown up. Each week, comedians Michelle Buteau and Jordan Carlos compare notes with some of the funniest, most creative adults, including Jim Gaffigan, Phoebe Robinson, Kate Walsh and Vanessa Williams. Plus, they tackle tough questions like how much should you spend on pillows and is it okay to eat cereal three times a day? Yeah, it is. (laughs) Anyway, so subscribe to Adulting wherever you get your podcasts because nobody, absolutely nobody knows what they're doing.
2: It's easy to know you want to make a change in your life, but it is hard to actually do it. How to be a better human from Ted is a podcast for when self-help feels too daunting or maybe even unrealistic or just not for you. I'm Chris Duffy, the host of How to Be a Better Human, and trust me, I do not have it all figured out. But join me as I talk to experts about actually attainable ways we can try to improve our lives, whether it's facing fears, setting boundaries, cleaning your house without feeling like a failure or all sorts of other topics. Find how to be a better human wherever you get your podcasts. Last Day is a show about the moments that change us. I just don't think I will ever get used to this. I'm Stephanie Whittleswax, and I have had one of these moments. We all have. So let's unpack the chaos that is our human existence together. I don't believe things happen for a reason. I don't believe the universe has a plan. Each week, I sit down with a new guest to explore happy, sad stories of transformation. It's leaning far, far into the pain. That's what it is. Listen to Last Day wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Ziwe grew up in a working-class neighborhood in Massachusetts, and as a teenager, she attended Phillips Academy Andover, which is one of the most prestigious boarding schools in the country. We got into how that experience shaped her work.
1: What was Phillips like? Uh, it's really, it was just a cultural class. From like living in Lawrence, Massachusetts, which is like this mill city with like a super huge urban population. It's one of the poorest cities in Massachusetts. M- the majority of people I spoke to on a daily basis were immigrants. And then you're going to like a high school where it's like super Americana, and like your classmates, like their last name are like Washington because their <laughs> found their great-great-great-great great grandfather cool. cool. literally was George Washington. Wow. You know, the songs I liked, the things I wore, I just I was like, you have to learn so much. You know, mm. I learned what Lily Pulitzer was, I wear LL Beans <laughs> but these are things I didn't know existed until I went to boarding school. How did you end up at that school? Andover High students and like Phillips Academy, Andover kids would like come to Lawrence and like teach these underprivileged kids like math and English and then we'd get bused out to Andover to see like a whole new world and like opportunity and we'd learn about you know we'd see grass for the first time like not actually but that's kind of like it was very freedom writers um and so I applied then I got in and then you know the rest is history I can put me on the trajectory to be a professional artist that's for sure. And in what ways did it feed your art specifically? Honestly, it made me appreciate where I'm from even more because mm-hmm. because I realized that there's a lot of culture in where I came from. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I could like really tap into that had I not seen seen both sides of that fence. Literally, the grass is greener. That ability to recognize all
0: the messiness and complications of race and class... And her willingness to make people uncomfortable is what makes her jokes so smart. Like, she has this one YouTube series called Baited where she does exactly that. She fools her white friends into saying problematic stuff.
1: We're going to take a trip down memory lane and see when my guests learned to be racist. Please welcome my white friend, Matt Rogers. So where did you grow up? I grew up on Long Island. Oh, wow. Yeah. How many black people live in Long Island? Um, I would say many black people live on Long Island. Can you list them all? No. Give it a try, Tarek, Malik. (laughs) I'm sure there's a Malik. Um... Wow, that's
0: racist. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty cringy, but also kind of brilliant. And it's that kind of subversive humor that helped her land a job in Late Night. I mean, Late Night has traditionally, in case you didn't know, has been super white and really male. Um, And you're one of a handful of black women comedy writers for Late Night shows. What is that that like, um, being in this kind of space?
1: In late night, I worked for Robin Thede, who's a black woman. She employed a lot of like strong brown women mm-hmm. at that show. Mm-hmm. And then Desus and Meryl, it's a pretty diverse show as well. So, so, so I can't necessarily attest to like. The the how hard it is to be a black woman in this industry I think it's hard to be a black woman in the world mm. and I think that late night comedy and entertainment are a reflection of the world we live in so I don't think that there's this, this separation between well it's really particularly hard to exist no it's that's fundamentally I'm being discriminated against all the time that's mm-hmm, just like a mm-hmm. fact of the matter and that wouldn't differ if I worked in late night that wouldn't differ if I worked at a hospital that wouldn't differ if I worked in a mine you know frankly yeah totally so so, so so that's so it's so whenever someone asks me that question, I say it, it, it's it's like real life. OK, so then what is it like
0: writing for a show that's run by people of color then?
1: Uh, fantastic. It's great. My references land, which is nice. I can can refer to Kirk Franklin and people know who I'm talking about. Mm. That's really nice, Mm. you know? I can talk about, like, eating plantains and, like, rice and, like, the things I grew up with. Or my parents being really strict and, like, not letting me watch more than an hour of TV. Or letting me, like, leave, like, our yard for fear that we'd be abducted by, like, crazy Americans. (laughs) So, like, having these, like, cultural similarities is so inspiring for my writing because to hear like these at Samaro especially like they reflect the world that I really grew up in mm. in Lawrence, Massachusetts so when in the, when they speak I'm like so excited because I'm like oh my god I remember that and I remember that these things that I had forgotten years ago having gone gone lived in the Midwest lived in Andover like they're all coming back to me like a flood and this is just like exciting my writing and making and just giving me so much material to, to work with. That's so real and it's just
0: like also so nice to not have to explain things and, Totally, like, definitely. Yeah, and like and, and, like, and to hear people actually relate to what you're saying and affirm it is, is like a really nice thing.
1: <laughs> it's really, it's honestly so great. And so I've been lucky enough to have those experiences for my two staff writing um, jobs and TV. And I, I hope to create a world like that in the future for other young writers. Because I feel like
0: so much of this is about representation. It reminds me of when I was in college and I was like, oh, I have to be a doctor or, or a lawyer. And then I realized that's not what I wanted to do. And I really wanted to pursue journalism or radio. Um, And literally, the only reason I did is because there was another Arab American Muslim woman at my school who was doing that. And I remember I just shadowed her for one day.
1: And then the next day, I changed my major. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, that's my story. Beyonce's Homecoming. She says it like, if you can't see it, you can't be it. You know, Mm -hmm. like to you have to see yourself in the world to know that you can Mm -hmm. even be that person. Yeah, Yeah, and it's so basic, but
0: it's so it's true.
1: Um, Totally. It's. I mean, is it basic? Because lots of people get representation. They just may not look like us. Honestly, I think that a big influence of mine was um, Brandy as Cinderella, the Black Cinderella. Yeah, and she would sing in my own little corner. (laughs) And I was just, like, in love with this woman. She had braids, too. I was like, oh, my God, like, yeah. I can be a princess. Yeah. Yeah, those things For actually real. stick with you. Yeah, they really, they really really do. In my own little corner, in my own little chair, I can be whatever I want to be.
0: <laughs> As a young writer, do you ever feel like imposter syndrome or anything like that?
1: All the time. Mm-hmm. Every day.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: <laughs> All I the mean time. I feel I'm like, like that. why are you guys interviewing me? <laughs> 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 like why am I here? No, I feel imposter syndrome totally. But then I remember I work so hard, which is crazy. And so I even feel guilty. I'm like, "Oh my god, Zuri, like you could be working so much harder." Like, but I work so hard. So whenever yeah. I feel imposter syndrome, I'm just like, "Let me just get back at it and try to like write some more stuff or produce something or mm. do my live show or mm. write another song or make a music video." But I but I think it's human to doubt yourself, but I think you have to catch those moments of doubt and stop and say, Hey, you know, wake up. This is the life you live and you have to you're in this room and you deserve to be here and you just have to abide like that. Mm-hmm. That's all you can do is just like give yourself positive reinforcement. I've actually been working a lot on positive reinforcement. Uh something I would recommend to artists is like being able to write and create and then leave it. Like letting go, because to be precious about your art, ooh, you're in for a hard life because you will your art will get ripped apart so I would write things and then I just let it go because mm-hmm. th- it's over I'm onto something new I have a different project mm-hmm. and I think that that I like that attitude in myself I appreciate but what I'm that. saying is that I love myself thank you thank yeah. you I appreciate you. Mm-hmm. Thank you
0: what if some days you just don't feel funny
1: um yeah, sometimes. So a lot of the time as a comedian, I'll write a joke and be like, that's the last funny joke that I'll ever write. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to get another one out there. You know, Yeah. you have like a viral tweet. It gets like 100K. You're like, well, that's the last tweet that's I'll ever it. do because that's that's all I got. Like I've the well is dry. Yeah. Um, but as a professional, your goal is to just like being able to turn over and turn over even when you don't feel like writing right like being a doctor I would compare comedy to being a surgeon and being mm-hmm. able to to heal patients even when you don't feel like it so wow. comedy is like surgery wow <laughs> but just a lot less pay I'm just kidding I know true that's true whoa drag me wow marketplace 8pm <laughs> wow but you're poor right now you sound like my parents yeah are you Nigerian <laughs> fuck <laughs>
0: I'm going to shift the conversation a little and it, I, I want to play a game with you. Okay. Okay. We don't have a name for this game yet. Um,
1: mm.
0: I'm going to call it rapid fire questions.
1: Okay. That's really cool. That's, that's really very curious.
0: clever. All right. So are you ready? Yes. Okay. Would you rather win $50,000 for yourself or have your best friend win $500,000? My best friend is me. So the lateral. wow wow. <laughs> wow okay <laughs> I was not expecting that answer sorry um all right would you rather be a multimillionaire but every time you're on stage it's like mediocre
1: mm-hmm.
0: or would you rather be a legend and be broke forever
1: uh i think i would rather be a legend but the idea of being a multimillionaire who's mediocre that doesn't sound so bad mm-hmm. honestly okay what's your cheapest habit My cheapest habit, um, I'm cheap. I'm a cheap person Mm -hmm. um, because I was raised by uh, Nigerian immigrants who taught me the value of a dollar. So my cheapest habit is going on dates that I hate. (laughs) Free food? (laughs) Just kidding. I didn't do it for the free food. I did it for the company.
0: Mm -hmm. Because when we're here, we're family. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What is the stupidest thing you've done with your money?
1: The dumbest thing I've done with my money? Go into debt for college. Yeah, that's real. That's dumb.
0: If you were a scammer, what would your scam be?
1: What would my scam be? Um, Being a professional artist. (laughs) That's a (laughs) grift. (laughs) The idea that people pay me for my words. Scam.
0: (laughs) What's the best money advice that uh, anyone
1: has ever given you? Um, Don't spend money you don't have. Say Oh, save, save, at least save, save money. No, pay off. Your, okay, the best money advice I have, I have a lot of good money advice. The mm-hmm. best money advice I have is to pay off your credit cards every month because otherwise you're just paying the interest and it's too much. Mm-hmm. Do you try to pay it off every month or do you? I, yeah, I try. Yeah, I don't spend that much on my credit cards. Na- like Nigerians are very adverse to credit because they know that it's like bondage. Mm. So.
0: How much money do you have saved up? How much money? I don't know. <laughs> I have
1: no idea. Not enough. That's how much money I have. Not enough. Until, until I have a house and liquid after a house, I don't have any money. To me, money is like being able to like live and create your art and do whatever you want, independent of like having to do this thing to make rent to make bills.
0: Quick last few questions, rapid fire. Who would you love to interview?
1: Who would I love to interview? Michelle and Barack Obama together. Actually, the whole Obama family, including Beau. Oh, nice.
0: What's one thing everyone should have no matter what the cost? Um, healthcare. Uh Britney Spears or Beyonce? That's ridiculous.
1: Obviously, I can't answer that. No. <laughs> I think Beyonce because she's such an influence, but Britney Spears was my first pop star. So again, I refuse to answer. <laughs> I don't pick between my pop stars. Mm, mm-hmm. That's a sensitive topic. I really topic. don't. Yes, it is. Yeah. Do you want me to get doxxed? <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right, Ziwei. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. It was a lot of fun having you here.
1: Thanks for having me. It was such a pleasure. All
0: right, that's all for this week's show. If you want to hit us up, you can reach us at uncomfortableatmarketplace.org. Let us know what's on your mind. Tell me all of your money secrets, please. This is Uncomfortable. is produced by me, Rima Hares, Haley Hirschman, and Peter Balanon Rosen. Megan Dietry is our senior producer. Tony Wagner is our digital producer. Muna Danish is our intern. Charlton Thorpe is our technical director. Sitara Nieves is the executive director of On Demand. Deborah Clark is the senior vice president and general manager of Marketplace. And theme music is by Wonderly. All right, catch y'all next week.
1: the good things that I've created are only because I've created so much bad.
2: Truly, yeah. It's like yeah. an
1: iceberg. You only see the tip. But below it, it's melting caps. <laughs> no, that's sad. Don't laugh at that. <laughs> that's tragic. Sorry. Oh Sorry. no, global warming! <laughs>
2: no, this is not funny. Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in our email newsletter course. You can start whenever and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. Sign up today at marketplace.org academy.